I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hey, everybody. I don't know why, but it feels like it's been forever since I've done a recording, maybe because I had so much other recording planned for this week. But unfortunately, my body decided otherwise. I swear, this year so far has been really tough on me medically. I've had so many weird like injuries and sicknesses and I just I apologize to you all but I also thank you for you know sticking around and being okay with the schedule being moved around a little bit and things like that but I got a massive sty on my eye last Sunday night so I'm on day five now of having this giant painful pulsating ball on my eyelid and it really fucking sucks uh, today, I feel a little bit better. It doesn't hurt as much, and it seems like the swelling has gone down a little bit, but I'm just really frustrated that it hasn't gone away. I haven't gone to a doctor yet. I'm being very stubborn. I'm like, I don't want to spend the money. Like, it's going to go away. I don't know, but maybe I'll end up having to go. I'll let you know. <laughs> 
But the unfortunate thing is that it was affecting my vision. So being able to read and write and all of that, which is very important to this show, I have to be able to see what I am telling you all. Uh, I wasn't able to work on the Patreon episode, unfortunately. So I'm going to be doing my best to finish that up over the weekend. And I don't know, maybe a full and Patreon will be out on Monday. I'm going to keep everybody updated on Instagram. So if you want to follow me at Angry Neighborhood Feminist on Instagram, I'll be giving you all the updates there and things like that. But yeah, hopefully my eye will just continue to get better and better. I'm doing my best to you know, do self-care for it and help it heal. So we'll see. I also wanted to mention that I am recording this episode on St. Patrick's Day, which, you know, as a person named Madigan Haggerty, you know, I'm pretty fucking Irish and I got to celebrate this day. And I wanted to tell a quick story. So pretty much every year on St. Patrick's Day for the last like, I don't know, 12, 13 years probably, I've posted uh, a lyric from one of Macklemore's songs called Irish Celebration that just says, proud to be a Haggerty. Because fun fact, Macklemore's real name is Ben Haggerty. I love to tell strangers that he's like my third cousin or whatever. <laughs> um, it's really funny. And it's spelled the same way. It's interesting because so my ancestors, the Haggertys, came over from Cork, Ireland to the United States, but they came over to the United States and they were all illiterate. So they just said their name to, you know, whoever at Ellis Island, and then they would transcribe it and write it down. So there's a lot of different spellings for Haggertys and different Haggerty families. But it's cool because this one is spelled exactly the same as mine. And I'm like, you know what, maybe me and Macklemore are related. I don't know. But to commemorate my tradition, I'm going to play you a little part of that song right now. Heart, blue collar workers and family, my heritage, proud to be a Haggerty. <laughs> Every year. And my dad made me a shirt years and years ago, you know, back when we still were interacting with each other. And it just says, proud to be a Haggerty. I think it even is like in quotes and says Macklemore on the bottom. It's so funny. Um, but I never wear that shirt. But every once in a while, I'll wear it on St. Patrick's Day. So maybe I will today. I don't know. But it's funny because it's literally the one day a year that I do feel somewhat proud to be a Haggerty. You know, I'm proud of my my lineage and my family as a whole, but I've discussed it on the show before. I have a lot of really negative connotations to my last name. There's no Haggerty's alive right now who I think hold me in very high regard. I don't feel any love from that side of my family. So it's really hard for me to to feel a sense of like attachment to that name when I just feel a lot of hurt and betrayal. But I, I love being super fucking Irish. I love that my name is super fucking Irish. And fuck yeah, today I'm proud to be a Haggerty. Okay, so enough of that bullshit. Let's get into what we're going to talk about today. So this topic, this first one makes me angry as fuck. So let's get into it. South Carolina lawmakers are pushing for a bill which would add the death penalty as a possible punishment for having an abortion. 
Great. Fantastic. This bill is called the South Carolina Prenatal Equal Protection Act of 2023, which was authored by Representative Rob Harris and would classify fertilized eggs as people and leaves no exceptions for rape and incest. The only exception is if, quote, all reasonable alternatives to save the life of the unborn child were attempted or none were available, or for people who are, quote, compelled to do so by the threat of imminent death or great bodily injury. The punishment for having an abortion, which would be classified as murder, would be at least 30 years in prison with the maximum sentence being death. What's scary and baffling to me is that the author of this bill, that Rob Harris, is a registered nurse. What kind of practicing nurse who has studied science could ever believe such misinformation about the formation of a fetus to consider the moment of conception life, which is not based in any sort of science? I just, I don't get it. And I, you know, it becomes more clear to me as I go on in this topic, but on the baseline, seeing any sort of medical professional of any sort who would back such misinformation, such falsehoods is, I mean, they should have their medical license revoked. That is ridiculous to me. Somehow this bill is being sponsored by 21 people and other bills similar have popped up in other states as well. For example, three women in Texas are being sued for wrongful death by a man who claims they helped his now ex-wife obtain medication for an abortion. The man is Marcus Silva, and he believes that assisting in a self-administered abortion is akin to aiding a murder. He sounds like the trolls in my Instagram comments. Oh, rubbish. You have no power here. Be gone before somebody drops a house on you. Anyway, this Marcus fucker is seeking a million dollars in damages. The manufacturer of the medication will also be listed as a defendant once the investigation is complete as to who that was exactly. Great. The timing of this incident seems to be really crucial here to this case. The woman took the medication to induce an abortion in July, just weeks after Roe was overturned. So it seems like this is going to be quite a complicated trial, and I'm going to make note to follow up on it because I am really interested to see where this all goes and how it turns out. Because this all just seems so archaic to me. So I googled woman being put to death for having an abortion just to see what would come up. And the name Marie-Louise Gerard, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong because it's French, you know me, appeared in my results. So this woman fought for a woman's right to have an abortion during World War II in France and was put to death for it. She was a sailor's wife and a mother to two kids and worked as a housekeeper. But as a side job, she performed abortions for women who needed it. And she actually also housed sex workers who were in Nazi-occupied France. She sounds like a badass sweetie, which is my goal in life. Abortion was illegal in France at the time due to the state's desire to boost the low birth rate and fill the population gap from the 1914 to 1918 war. It was considered a crime against the nation, which I'm surprised today's American politicians haven't coined yet, during World War II to have an abortion which was punishable by death. This was decided when Germany occupied France. Marie was nicknamed the Maker of Angels due to the 27 abortions she performed in the Cherbourg area. 
She was taken to the guillotine on July 30th, 1943, and she was the last woman to be guillotined in France. There's actually a movie as well that came out in 1988 called Story of Women, which is based on her life story, and I would really, really like to see that now. Also, since this topic is discussing the death penalty, I want to make my standings on it very, very clear. I believe that the death penalty should be abolished because you have to get it 100% right 100% of the time. And the fact is that there are between 46,000 to 230,000 innocent people incarcerated in the United States alone, according to the Innocence Project. Since 1970, 190 former death row prisoners have been exonerated of all charges that put them on death row. I don't want to think of the many, many innocent people who have been wrongfully put to death before that time. It wasn't until fairly recently that we could actually use DNA to prove or disprove someone's innocence. So it wasn't hard for a jury to convict someone and to sentence them to death, even if they were innocent. And then these people lost their lives. Once you're in prison, it's nearly impossible to get out because, and I was listening to a podcast that was discussing this recently, and it was really, really fascinating, but they were saying that before you go to trial, we have this presumption of innocence in this country that we we have to assume that the person on trial is innocent until proven guilty by their peers. But then once they are proven guilty by their peers and they are put into the prison system, we then view them as guilty, even if they come forward and say that they are innocent, even if they come forward with information that could possibly prove their innocence. But then also, here's the thing, and I think I learned this from Rabia Chaudhry, who was one of the amazing lawyers that helped um, Adnan Saeed get out, or Syed. It's been back and forth about how to actually pronounce his last name. But he is most known for um, from the podcast Serial. And he was recently let out of prison, but not exonerated. And Rabia was talking about the fact that you have to have brand new information once you're in prison in order to appeal to a judge. And new information means that it couldn't have been available at the time of the trial. It has to be like new technology, new science, things like that. It can't just be something that like a lawyer left out. Although you can also have an appeal on a what's I can't remember the phrasing, but like insufficient counsel, I think, like if your defense lawyer didn't do his job properly, and there's proof of that, you can, you can also use that as evidence. But sorry, I'm going off on this tangent, but I I really find this topic so, so important, because I hate to think of the many, many innocent lives that have been lost due to a very unjust justice and court system. It doesn't make any sense to me. And on top of that, I also believe that by sending an actually evil, guilty person to death, that isn't really justice either. Even if it was this foolproof system where we know that every guilty person is actually guilty, I see death as being, I don't know if it's just me and my own like spiritual beliefs about life and death, but I really believe death as this kind of peaceful end to a long life. Like I truly believe that it is when someone can finally be laid to rest. And I think that a true punishment for a criminal would be to have to live with the consequences of what they've done, not giving them this speedy release in a way. 
And on top of that, going back to, you know, the start of this whole conversation, it's shocking to me that a side that holds quote unquote life in such a high regard would so easily take the life of an actual living, breathing, fully developed adult human being. Like, where is the logic there? And I always think of it this way. How would you explain this to a child in a way that they would understand? Because I think if I were to say this to even some of my, you know, obviously I wouldn't say this to toddlers, but like to the nine-year-old that I help take care of, if I were to just say they believe that it is not okay to end the growth of a fetus, yet they do believe that it's okay to punish the person who did prevent the growth of that fetus to be put to death. Does that make sense to you? Is that eye for an eye? And why do you think that that's okay? What does that help? This issue is just so deep and layered, and I feel many of the facets will have to work together in order to protect those being persecuted for abortion. We need to work toward a more fair justice and court system in general. We have to work to abolish the death penalty entirely. We have to create policies that will protect pregnant people and their choices and also protect doctors, pharmacists, and clinics, which are providing the necessary services. The thing that will always stop me in my tracks, though, is the fact that we are arguing with people who refuse to see reality. That a zygote is not a human being abortion is not murder, and that reproductive health care access is necessary in our society for the health and safety of everyone. All right, that one went on for a bit, so let's take a quick break for some commercials, and then I'll be back with a couple more topics. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. All right, lovelies, I am back. Let's get into another topic that makes me super, super angry, shall we? I feel like I'm in the right place on this show, truly. (laughs) 
Yesterday, Florida's ban on gender-affirming health care for minors went into effect. Last month, Florida's state medical boards approved the first-of-its-kind rule prohibiting health care providers from providing puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and surgeries to trans minors. By the way, these board members were appointed by Governor Ron DeSantis. What? Why on earth would he be entrusted to get a group of medical professionals together? Where are his qualifications for that? This new rule, if I'm reading this correctly, only applies to youth who have not begun treatment, but I don't trust that because if the access to these things is going to decrease, it's going to decrease for everybody, not just necessarily the people who haven't yet begun any sort of hormone therapy. This new law goes against most major medical associations, which have argued that gender-affirming care for minors and adults is medically necessary and often life-saving. It's been proven that trans youth with access to puberty blockers can lower the rate of anxiety and depression in trans youth and adults, and they are less likely to have considered or attempted to end their lives. Simone Chris, director of the Southern Legal Council's Transgender Rights Initiative, accused members of Florida's medical boards on pushing forward a political agenda that is not rooted in science. This is very similar to the issue we were just discussing with abortion where no one in authority is looking to facts in science, but instead they are blinded by their unwavering allegiance to one political party or side. We should not have had a medical board assigned by a politician and especially not Ron fucking DeSantis, because fuck that guy. According to the Trevor Project, this rule also prohibits any research on this type of care as well, which will prevent experts from providing the highest level of care possible. Unfortunately, Florida is not alone. Mississippi, Tennessee, South Dakota, and Utah have also passed medical care bans into law. Along with that, 27 other states are looking to pass similar bills as well. According to the Trevor Project, quote, the growing number of trans medical care bans is not coincidental. This is a coordinated strategy by anti-trans politicians to target transgender young people in order to score political points. My point exactly. Human beings are not chess pieces to be played with, and it sickens me that politicians can so easily risk the lives of so many people only for their own political gain and notoriety. In my opinion, that seems very authoritarian, that you are willing to risk the lives of a group of people that you see as being inferior to yours. To me, that's akin to being like Hitler. This is fucked up. And it's also just something that I do not understand, because why do you give a fuck about what another person's healthcare is when you really break it down that's that's what this is there are cisgender people that take hormone blockers for different reasons and things like that as well but for some reason we are narrowing in on the quote-unquote evils of the transgender community that this that the right is seeing it as when truly it seems like they are trying to annihilate a society of people and that's why I just can't sit and be quiet about it because it fucking infuriates me that anybody would ever think that one person's existence is more important or more valid or more valuable than another person's. 
The trans community is the most targeted community when it comes to violence. And adding intersections of race on top of that makes you even more targeted as well. We do not need these laws and bans and this lack of care to be shown to a community that already feels like no one gives a fuck about them and that no one sees them. We have all of these people talking about how drag performers are grooming young people and so on and so forth, where no one is looking at the bigger picture of humanity. No one is considering loving your neighbor as loving yourself. These supposedly good Christian lawmaking people are not behaving the way that if you were to actually look at what your fucking God wants you to believe, you are going against that. Jesus befriended Mary Magdalene, who was a sex worker. He helped her. He loved her. So if you want to use your stupid fucking religious texts to base any of the evil things that you're doing off of, they're fucking wrong. Instead of demonizing people, take a moment to empathize with them. Communicate with people that are different than you. Take a second to actually Become educated on these topics instead of spewing this false bullshit all over the place that is just perpetuating these false notions, perpetuating this violence. And my heart truly goes out to the trans community, specifically in Florida, as all of this is happening. I am so sorry. My heart is with you. I hope you are okay. I hope you are able to find the care and the access to it that you deserve and that you need. I hope that you know that there are resources out there for you to at least get some sort of sentimental support while you're going through all of this as well. Go to the Trevor Project website, contact any helplines that you need to, and just make sure that you're taking care of yourself during this time. Okay, my last topic I think is going to make me a little bit less angry. I don't know. But there was an interview that went viral this week, and it was from an online program from The Hill called Rising, where conservative author Bethany Mandel was being interviewed by the host Brianna Joy Gray and co-host Robbie Soav. Sov? I'm going to say Soav. I apologize if I'm saying it wrong. Anyway, here's the clip because I won't do it justice by trying to read out the transcription of it. And probably fewer of them consider themselves to be woke. And so, you know, when, when we what talk does about that mean to you, women, would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple of times. And I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that... Um, I, this is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, woke is something that's very hard to define, and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re totally reimagine and re re redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression. Um, sorry, I it's it's hard to explain in a fifteen second soundbite. Yeah, look at time. I love that. She's like, we have time. Like, explain yourself. That would be great. Um, but anyways, 
After first seeing that video, I did a quick Google search that was define wokeness, and right away, a pretty clear definition popped up, and that is the quality of being alert to and concerned about social injustice and discrimination. I don't think that needed an entire chapter in a book. So this author, Bethany Mandel, spent most of the interview promoting her new book, Stolen Youth, which she co-wrote with fellow right-wing columnist and Ron DeSantis superfan, Carol Markowitz. The book largely centers around the belief that the far left had indoctrinated America's youth with racial ideology, a victimhood culture, and gender madness. This sounds super professional and legit. Gray said that she's seen frustration with the language used across the political spectrum and wondered how Mandel sees this solely as a war being waged by the left on conservatives. Gray said, Because framing it that way, when I think this is a broad concern that a lot of folks have a problem, does also create this kind of victim paradigm where you have people saying we're being under attack by the left instead of kind of coming together and trying to resolve what I think is a broadly understood phenomenon. Mandel responded that her book is a, quote, sort of woke reimagining that is very, very far left. She says only 7% of Americans consider themselves very liberal and probably fewer of them consider themselves woke. Yeah, I don't consider myself woke because that sounds fucking stupid now. As of 2021, a study shows that about one quarter of Americans consider themselves to be liberal, which is still a pretty small amount, but not as small as this person is projecting. And I think a lot more liberal people would still identify as being a Democrat over other terminology because that's basically what it used to mean. The older generation seems to be a really good example of this. Political scientists and other analysts regard the left as including anarchists, communists, socialists, democratic socialists, social democrats, left libertarians, progressives, and social liberals, as well as movements for racial equality and trade unionism. So this is a pretty broad spectrum, and people identify themselves in personal ways that aren't always so broad. Of course, it was at this point in the conversation that Gray asked Mandel for her definition of woke. Where the video cuts off, the co-host, Soav, jumps in and he says, I mean, everybody is weighing in against wokeness. Like, we do some of it on the show as well. It's definitely something where you know it when you see it. I'm sorry, what? Gray, God lover, then asks her co-host to define wokeness, which was then answered by Mandel, who said, It's the tendency to punish people formally or often informally for expressing ideas using language that is very new that no one would have objected to like five seconds ago. That doesn't make any sense. Let us use woke in a sentence. I woke up this morning. This means you became awake, aware, right? So wouldn't it be logical to assume that the abbreviation woke simply means being aware of something you hadn't been before? A recent poll found that the majority of Americans see the term as positive and that it means to be informed, educated on, and aware of social injustices. Yeah, that's more like it. The fact that the right has this tendency to latch itself onto these, like, 
catchy buzzwords from the left and then kind of like take over and use them even more than the left ever did is something of a phenomenon that I truly don't understand. But I know that it is a fear tactic that is used by the right in order to make their followers even more afraid of anybody who has any sort of idea that goes against their political beliefs because in their eyes you know even Joe Biden is this like liberal socialist maniac right all of us are kind of like clumped together as this like wokeness anti you know free speech people somehow and it it truly makes no sense to me but I know like I said that it's all really really based in fear and wanting to scare their followers into into giving them more and more political power by voting for them. You know, it's it's a sad, sad game that politicians play and that sadly a lot of Americans fall prey to. All right, well, I think that is everything that I wanted to talk about today, but I do want to update you a little bit on what this week is going to look like because my health was so shitty in the past week. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be releasing a brand new full-length episode for you all on Monday, but it will be an episode that most of you haven't heard before, as I am going to publish the first episode that I did for Patreon, which is covering Zora Neale Hurston, who is the author of Barracoon. It's kind of like a feminist faves setup, talking about her life and her writing and her work. And I am going to publish that on Monday in lieu of a new episode since I wasn't able to give, you know, the time and the energy to a brand new topic this week due to my eyeball. Also, I will be hopefully uploading a brand new Patreon episode on Monday as well. If I am able to get it up before then, I will let you know, but I am always trapped in retail hell over the weekend, so it's a little bit harder for me to get everything done, but I'm going to do my best. Again, thank you all so much for dealing with me as I juggle the most insane schedule. Hopefully within the next few months, everything will slow down for me a little bit more as it truly is my goal to spend the majority of my my time working on this show and making sure that it is, you know, something that I can be really, really proud of and that you all will really, really enjoy. And part of that is being a little bit more timely, you know. So again, thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your love and patience. If you want to check out the Patreon Angry Feminist Book Club, there is a link in the show notes. There's a link in the bio on the Instagram page, or you can go to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist and check out the two options that we have there. There is the $5 tier, which will get you access to the Angry Feminist Book Club. And then there is the $8 tier, which gives you access to the book club, as well as ad-free versions of the mini and full episodes on the regular feed. So it is a great deal, in my opinion, if you want a little bit more Madigan in your life. Also, if you love the show and you haven't yet left a review, please go over to the Apple Podcast app and leave a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. It truly is helpful for the growth of this podcast, and it helps people get that last little nudge to press play on an episode. But if you listen on Spotify, I would also really appreciate a five-star review there as well. 
All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you all so much for listening to another mini episode. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.